Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Pune Sci-Fi Book Club, a podcast where we review and discuss science fiction books that we've read recently. The book we're talking about today is Morgan J. Locke's Up Against It, which came out in 2011. We'll spend the first few minutes of this episode on a spoiler-free or a spoiler-light at least review of the book. At that point, if you plan to read the book, you can stop and come back when you're done. We'll then spend the rest of our time discussing the book in more detail. So without further delay, let's introduce our three hosts. I am Mohit Karve. Uh, Varad Deshmukh. So to get us off started, Varad, do you want to tell us a little bit about the book? Okay. So my impression about this book is it's basically a, well, soft sci-fi book. The broad sort of genre here is it's a space opera slash a political thriller slash a space crisis book. Uh, essentially, the story takes place. Well, if you guys have seen The Expanse, which is on Amazon Prime, the setting in this book is very similar. To, and I don't want to draw, keep drawing that, con- that comparison throughout the this podcast. But uh, just to give you some sort of basis, humans in this book have colonized almost all of the solar system. The asteroid belt, well, basically the inner planets, Earth, Mars, the asteroid belt, uh, there's some colonization in, in the Jovian plan- planets, and there's all sorts of commercial activity going on. Uh, humans have gone as far as to like start bringing in water slash ice from the Kuiper belt, which is which goes beyond the Plut- beyond Pluto, and so that's that's the that's the sort of the status of this uh, of the solar system in this book. This story takes place primarily on an asteroid in the asteroid belt, which is again between Mars and Jupiter. Uh, it's an asteroid called as 254 Sea, which is a real asteroid. If you guys want to go ahead and check. So basically, the humans who are, which have which are which are living in this asteroid are primarily dependent on methane ice, which again, as I mentioned, they bring from all parts of the world of the solar system. So the, the main the main sort of use of this methane ice is for uh, generating resources. They rely on these things called as uh, assemblers and de- uh, and disassemblers, which are used for producing food, other sort of day-to-day uh, requirements or like day-to-day objects. Uh, and then there are these disassemblers, which sort of break, break them down into these uh, basic components. And they, they do it using what is called as bug juice, which requires methane somehow. And that part, I'm not very clear on how that happens. Uh, so that's how they are... Uh, so they, they basically have are living in the massive recycling system where they produce and then just produce their own stuff and then break it down to produce new stuff again. So uh, there's this other interesting thing in, thing in this book, which is this concept of uh, upside down, which is a media conglomerate. That, uh, and, and the way it comes in, in context of this uh, asteroid, which is 20, 25 Fosia, is that uh, they are recording... Uh, there's a live sort of recording of every event that's happening on the asteroid. Uh, basically, Upside Down has a contract with 25 Fosia for a year uh, to record all the things that are going on, which is then filmed as a reality TV show for uh, the people on the inner planets. Uh, and in exchange, 25 Fosia after a year will get like uh, good communication sort of uh, capabilities uh, as part of the contract. I think that was uh, the two main aspects which I thought was, were interesting. Uh, the third one, I think, is also the AI, or basically the 
like how their computer systems have been developed what's 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 happening in their massive computer systems sort of systems network is uh, the spontaneous sort of emergence of sentient ai and what their systems do is when when such an ai emerges their internal sort of security systems attack it and bring it down to make sure it doesn't take over the entire network and there's a reason because that plays an important part in the book uh, but anyway so this is the premise or this is the setting of the book the story begins with a particular event that is triggered on 25 osea uh, where a plant which does the production of resources and which does the disassembling of resources gets well there's something that happens there which leads to the destruction of the facility and the loss of this bug juice which leads to the methanize getting stuff like uh, just consumed in that in sort of a mass reaction or a, that is triggered which means now the planet has to get new ice in the next 25 days or the entire asteroid will sort of die off so that is the crisis that is triggered and that's where the story picks up what did you guys think about the book so i think prior to my first impression can i classify this differently i think of this as a cyberpunk novel because it's actually quite different from the expanse i feel like in the details of it i agree that it's not hard science fiction it's more soft soft science fiction but i mean my first impression of this book is it, it has a lot of things going on both in terms of plot lines themes ideas and they're all jumbled together in this thing it does take it a and i think if you ask among the various strains of like political intrigue versus realistic hard sci-fi take on uh, asteroid mining and that kind of thing versus like cyberpunk elements versus like this thing i, I think the cyberpunk element is the strongest vein for me which goes through through it in terms of transition between and uh, i i kept forgetting that this book was written in 2010 Uh, I kept thinking it's like written much longer, but uh, so I, I think it's an interesting time for that book to be written. Some parts, of it, so overall, I think it, it, it's it's a very like uneven book because there are parts of it that if you then jump into even in the character, right? There are basically two broad sets of characters. There's like the resource administrator of the asteroid, who's one character that you kind of follow around uh, as she's trying to solve the crisis that has come about. and then there are these groups of this is a group of teenagers essentially who are involved in this whole incident and kind of the tonality between the two groups is also fairly different uh, you know through the books through the book itself so i think that's my like overall impression of the book that there are some really interesting ideas but i felt the ideas are most interesting along the cyberpunk line of ideas in the book and it has a kind of a lot going on at the same time I, I could cut a, another book from within this book, and it would probably be like you know much more cohesive than the story. So yeah, so that's my impression of book. Just to add one more thing, I didn't mean that it's like the expanse. I I just wanted to say the setting of the book is like the expanse. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, there's the human colonization and the solar system. Good more. Yeah, no, I I was just going to say I don't think it's like entirely a cyberpunk book, but I do agree that there's a lot of cyberpunk elements to it. In terms of storylines, I think I counted what to me at least are like five distinct storylines that are all sort of going on continuously in parallel. And I actually thought that it was pretty good the way that all five of them tied together at the end and came to a reasonably satisfying conclusion. Like I quite liked the book. 
the one thing i i do want to talk about is the the nanobots that varad mentioned right at the start i think that is going back again to our expanse comparison that i think is like the most magic part of this book which exists in the expanse and they never talk about it like they just talk about how like stuff gets dumped into the recycler like they they put unused food plates stuff goes into the recycler and then we just don't see anything i mean that's not the point of the expanse so not really complaining about that but i feel like this book really does a good job of explaining how something like that could work where you just have these nano machines that can convert anything into its its constituent atoms and then reconstitute it however you want uh, like i thought that that was pretty cool and pretty well explained in this book so yeah so i, I think that that element of it was as you're reading the book and all these these are horribly dangerous technologies like <laughs> any one of them could and they do easily like spin out of control and you know just the dissembler bots themselves which are the one which take apart things i'm saying that's such a bad idea i like so i i felt that was a bit like magic but also it, it kind of breaks the emotion of okay this is a really dangerous way of i can understand the assembly part but the 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 assembly part of it is just so dangerous as like i, I don't agree this? though i i don't agree because she does make a point early in the book to say that the general purpose disassemblers are highly controlled and limited only to the recycling facilities and the more generally available disassemblers are special purpose ones where like it just breaks down plastic or it just breaks down one thing in particular so but they do use those as a, those as a weapon somewhere down the book right they, they do use it as a weapon no yeah. as in as in it's a type of technology right it's it's something that looks like it will easily spin out of control of the yeah. and and you see cross linking technologies across it which point to that because they have like really advanced hacking and they have like cybernet and they have sapient ai things which come about as like these are all machine like you know so those all those technologies interlink together as like this is you know it's this kind of, and then at the same time they don't have like other things right they don't seem to have faster than light communication or even uh, yeah. it still takes two days So there's a bit of technology incongruence in in that world. Some aspects are very very advanced, yeah. and some as aspects are not so. So like, if we jump into spoilers, we can cover some more, which is like similar. It, it's a bit. It reminded me a bit of like what Blade Runner is like, because in Blade Runner also you have this off-world colonies and you have bioengineering to kind of do the colonization, and and then you have like at the same time you know replicants and the AIs. So it had that vibe. But yeah, but I was just reading it as like you know you're both really dismissing these crises because these technologies are a bit interesting. I mean, so I sort of noticed that technological incongruency and like a number of things. So if you okay, so this these nanobots or the bug juice is apparently programmable, right? So if it is programmable, then why was the crisis triggered in the first place? Can't you program these nanobots to stop? their function their functionality if they are encountering a massive block or like a massive mountain of methane ice which eventually triggered that mass reaction i'm assuming there would have there should have been some sort of way to sort of prevent such a chain reaction especially if your manufacturing facility has that big block of ice very close to your uh, your nanobots that's that sort of like one that was one incident why i thought where i thought like there was that incongruency uh, the other part was and this goes like much later in the book like on one hand you have got like these sentient ai that are sort of 
coming up spontaneously in the system and you've got these smart anti-AI measures that are triggering. But on the other hand, you need like a specialist, a human specialist to measure the amount of ice or like measure the the amount of or the measure the gravity, like the gravitational force on an asteroid. Like that yeah. whole sort of plot with Shuan go like them needing like some specialist to go there and see how much ice is there on 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 a, on a separate asteroid block. I thought that's, was that, that's actually a good point. I didn't think of that. The, I I don't really agree with the the dissembler thing again because the whole point of it is that it's like a highly restricted general purpose disassembly location, and they did have fail safes which were bypassed for plot reasons, right? Like. They, they did have fail safes to say that, oh, if these things, like, never mind specific things like, oh, methane ice, it's just if they are exposed to open air outside of the, the disassembly factory, then they should just stop working. And that whole, like, the fail safe was bypassed. So I, I feel like I, I agree that it's a dangerous technology and all that stuff, but I feel like in book, it, it seems reasonable that it failed the way that it did. Like, I don't think it violates any common sense rules inside the world. Yeah, so, inside the world, it was because they even explain that it's supposed to freeze, but it doesn't freeze because their system doesn't close in time. It doesn't close because the, something happens. But the assembler, I can understand as a piece of technology. But if you're trying to get rid of something, like, it's not like they said that this is our weapon storage system, right? And we have these dissembler ammunition, you know, got out of control. I would understand that yeah. because you put it in a shell and you shoot it out of a ship and it disintegrates the ship or data then. It's used in industrial vehicles. Why do you need to vaporize like large amounts when you're in space, right? Just shoot it into Jupiter or something, right? Like it just, it just, you know, it would be cheap. They mentioned that also because they say that in order to get these ice chunks, it, what they do is they just knock it out of the paper belt and, and it's cheaper than actually mining it from Jupiter's moons because it just floats and it comes, right? I'm saying if that logic holds, why is it more, you know, cheaper to actually have a bunch of dead? But, but it's not just disassembling. Just like it's shoot not, your garbage into like. Yeah, but it's not just disassembling things into water. Now, like it's also recycling your metals, your plastics, and stuff like that. So, anyway, I, I don't want to get too bogged down on this one particular topic, which yeah, yeah. clearly all of us have strong feelings about. Uh, it's, a, uh, <laughs> it's a peculiar technology. So it's like it's, yeah. it's, it's you know I don't see like enough uses of it. And then it was like very advanced for like at least the state of the world kind of show. So yeah. Kind of, you know. So yeah, I mean we we are about three minutes away from the twenty minute mark. So I just want to touch upon one thing that neither of y'all really talked about uh, before we get into like our just high level review, and then we can get into the all of the spoilers and and more detailed discussion on the plot itself. So one thing that I found really interesting were the viridians. They they don't get much time in the book like they're just these kind of side background characters in some sense but they also end up playing a, a pretty key part on the ai plot and to some degree on on the nanotechnology part of it as well and i i just found that whole thing really yeah. weird which i guess it was intended to be but i found it kind of weird that you can i guess this falls into that same dichotomy of technology again like it, i find it unconvincing that you can have some kind of genetic modification that lets you significantly change your appearance over a period of like a few minutes or a few hours even. So that I I thought was a little bit strange. I I, I don't want to get into what particular character is doing what because that might be construed as a spoiler. But I I just found that interesting that 
people have hacked their own bodies into having like multiple hands and oh i mean we all have multiple hands but more than two hands and uh, all that kind of stuff that's kind of weird right so um any any opinions on that yeah. No, no, that was the interesting part of the book for me because it, it was, I guess, it had a lot also of the you know, body dysmorphia yep. and like gender identity, but also like a little beyond that. And it's kind of at least on the from everything in the book, I thought like that would be because that kind of stuff we do see in our world where you have like you know maybe a lot of advances in one particular field which don't translate over somewhere else. So. You know, they do seem to have. It, it stands to reason that they have like that kind of nanobot control and stuff like that. Then genetic control is not really that. You know, they can add, they can really rearrange things at atomic level. So I don't think genetic control should be that out of reach. And then the fact that people use that to kind of explore art, explore themselves, create that that was interesting to me. And then that they have a whole. subculture around it. I mean, in other kind of cyberpunk genres, also you see the whole body, the smokia, identity, smokia yep. kind of things uh, in different forms. Whether you're this, you know, you're switching like Android avatars, or whether you're cyborg, you're changing parts out and things like that. So this was like the genetic variation of that. That you just like literally have like transhuman kind of. Yep. And like the the, the the technological modification aside, this is obviously like a good tie into the transgender community, which I thought is not really well, uh, which doesn't appear a lot in sci-fi books as far as I've seen. I think the only book I know where it sort of comes maybe close as the is the genderless race in uh, the Left Hand of Darkness, but and I haven't read that book, but I've just heard about it. But I thought it was interesting how. uh the the reaction of normal people to those people to to the uh viridians is similar to the typical typical reaction we would expect in today's world when interacting with the transgender community so let's take a wrap on like the spoiler free part and yeah what what's your your overall view of this book G- give it a star rating out of 5 and would you recommend that people read it i would give it a rating of 3.5 stars out of 5 uh what i liked about this book was the various social aspects in terms of say some some religious aspects then there is that whole reward based system where like each person is given the rating by others uh, i thought that was interesting then there is obviously like strong female characters of the viridians the, the viridians i think were interesting characters so the, the the social aspect of aspects of the book were really good but i felt the science there was not enough deep dive into the science or like as i mentioned at the beginning there was and even as vivek mentioned there was that scientific incongruency where like some things are super developed but in other aspects like the science is really behind okay so vivek i think i also give it like a 3.5 i think and that's more on the on the way it's structured i think it just has too many things uh, i mean i i meant to touch upon that social credit kind of thing that they had going on in the book Though it's like not exactly a state social credit, it's more like a mutual social credit kind of system, which is interesting. So it has lots of these, you know, even the idea of like the whole Stoyer's program, um, you know, which initially it looks like it's just reality TV, but then later on, you know, you do find out that there's also like whole simulations of that with the beta failure variant and all. So these are all like interesting elements. I, I felt the weakest part of it was like the whole Martian one. and it, you know it didn't have any it didn't it wasn't that intriguing to be honest like it, it just there were too few characters maybe on the yeah on the 
upper echelon of the political class that you never get to see. So some things I felt were introduced. Uh, so I just think it had a lot of things going on. For me personally, the strongest thing that I felt was the one cyberpunk side of it. So the sapient, the AI, the buildings, and that whole theme and, and the chain. Uh, I didn't like the kids because the story could have you know, just moved on without them. They, they were not important. So, so I felt it was a little all over the place. So, you know, if you just, you could have a more compact like a story. So I'll say, yeah, it's worth it for like the ideas in it. Not all the ideas are like best fleshed out. But I think for the cyberpunk side of things, I think more it's worth it. Okay. Yep. And yeah, I, I generally agree with what you guys are saying. So I'm not, I'm not going to elaborate too much. I would say I would give it a four on five rather than a three and a half. I, I liked it a fair amount. Yeah, like I, I liked that it, it was well written and whatever your opinions are on the storylines itself, I feel like they come together pretty well near the end. So that's good. Uh, so yeah, so I, I would also recommend reading this book. So uh, with that, let's call an end to the spoiler-free part of this. Uh, quick uh, note to add here, the next book that we're going to be talking about is, what are they going to talk about that for like just 10 seconds? It's basically going to be The Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. I have not read a lot of, or like I've just read the first few pages and it seems like there's not much of sci-fi involved, but it seems, well, that, that's all I can say. Yeah, I don't... Okay, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more uh, in the next episode. So if you want to read the book before you hear the episode, then that's the one we'll be reading next. Uh, so with all that said, let's now dive into all of the, the detailed plot stuff. So I, I just want to talk about the, the five plot lines that I identified, and then you can compare, you can correct me if you think there are more. So there's Jane Navio versus the politicians and the mob, the, the political intrigue part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the adventures of Jeff Agre and friends. Uh, there's the Fosia resource crisis that sort of underpins everything else. It's continuously happening in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is the birth and early life of a feral sapient in the computer systems of 25 Fosea. And then finally, there's just, you can see it in, in bits of the story of the shadowy agenda of the Viridians. Like that's the five main plot lines that I saw going through the entire book. Is there anything that I missed? What What did you guys think of all of those plots, I guess? Yeah, uh, I think that more or less covers it. There was a brief bit where we take with Sean character. Some yeah. Uh, but I guess that is covered under the crisis part. That's why. That's, yeah, that's in the crisis part. Okay, so jumping into spoilers, and I guess I'll, I'll leave that one for the end because it comes later in there. The, the biggest issue I had was that I didn't really understand the internal design of the asteroid like I just I I could not imagine exactly how all of that worked like my the sense I got of it was that they hollowed out the inside of the asteroid and they built some kind of like spinning multi-ring thing in there and a lot of the action and it's not even a ring it's like a disc or something like a disc or a cylinder so that there's habitation all the way from like the outside to the middle with obviously lower gravity in the middle and high gravity outside. And the middle part of it is a vacuum somehow, like the hub is a vacuum and some action sequences fighting the AI happen there. Like I just, I could not wrap my head around exactly what what was going on there. 
the way I understood it was like, it's not completely, I mean, obviously, so there's like levels inside the asteroid. So like, let's just assume it's a sphere for now. They've got multiple levels in the asteroid and at the end, at the center is the hub. What I understood is that the hub is not the vacuum, but the area just outside of the hub that they break into when they are fighting the AI and mm. uh, when they have to blow off that communications node to stop the sapient from escaping. That is somehow a vacuum. And then there are spokes, which are these lifts that go from the hub to the all the way through the different levels to the outer edge of the asteroid. And um, uh, the manufacturing facilities on the surface of the asteroid. Or close to the surface anyway. That part was interesting. There was also like I got the impression that some of them have habitations which are a little ways away from the asteroid, which kind of orbited or something, and there are like bridges or like spokes which go all the way there. No, even that part farmer thing which came from that that guy's rock is also like somewhere nearby. So the construct of it was like kind of very and then the AI thing I assume was because the the Transmission power from spoilers is on the external surface. Right. And so it goes, you know, some piping which goes to station and then goes into the Yeah. So, yeah, I, I read about the, the physical structure of the place as well. Like I went and looked up the tree ways once again. And what I gathered was there's Fosea itself. There's two other asteroids that are connected to Fosea with like a thick cable of some sort. Right. And so those three asteroids together share like one orbit around the sun. And then they have these other tiny chunks of asteroids that are either pulled in from elsewhere or are just sort of natural moons, you could say, of this planetoid that is Hosea. And they have these cables stretching out outside from these three main asteroids. And you basically zip line to some part of this this cable link and then from there just free float through space using some kind of like effectively a jetpack. They cover that only once. And she travels yeah. from her home to 25 yeah. Although I was not a big fan of that tree way or I didn't even know whether that was even needed. I, I think it was needed just to establish that it's not a single self-contained asteroid and there are like people who are just living in the outskirts like, I think that's what they were trying to establish with that. But really constructing those long cable lines in space seemed like a weird thing to do. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I was just weirded out by that sort of form of commuting. You know, yeah. especially if you have rocket bikes, which some other people yeah. use to get to like random parts of the asteroid belt. So if you have those, then why do you need the uh, treeway? I mean, I guess that's just the thing between owning your own car versus taking the bus, I guess. Like, that's the comparison point. I mean, you could have rocket buses. <laughs> you could have rocket buses. <laughs> you, know, you don't need cables is what I was saying. But anyway. <laughs> that's fair, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, the, I feel like the physical placement of it was not great. But, okay, I, I'm just going to run through each plot super quickly and then we can just pick uh, whatever. So... Jeff Agre helps save the, the first shipment of ice when it lands yep. uh, and then is just loosely involved with this other one of these satellite asteroids that someone gave to him, which also seems random that some old yeah, dude would is. just give uh, a whole asteroid really to like, some other random kid. Like, but, when he said it initially, I thought it was like a patch on the existing asteroid. 
and then it turns out it's a whole rock by itself. And yeah. Like, oh, and they bring it up really late, so it's like okay, yeah, it's a bit of a doyesense, my kind of thing. obviously this asteroid that has been gifted to jeff agre contains the ice that is the salvation of ofosia yeah so the so back we'll story go all the way there do you want to talk about the incident itself yeah uh, right i mean so so the incident happens as we talked about at, uh, in this manufacturing facility where the resource production and recycling happens and so there are two workers in there when when it happens one of them is this guy called kal agre who is uh, jeff's uh, brother and then the second person is ivan uh so ivan is sort of working around a disassembler pit when his crane supposedly falls into the vats which contain the disassembly nanobots that causes the nanobots to sort of splash onto the methane and then that starts a mass reaction which it, ends it up basically eats through like the roof of the factory gets out and gets yeah. onto the ice and then starts eating the ice okay that part i wasn't very clear about whether and like, they self replicate Ha, and they self-replicate, okay. which is why it it creates like this runaway reaction where it the risk is that all of the ice gets eaten up and our intrepid teenagers are able to use their rocket bikes and dump the whatever fluid stops the disassemblers right in its tracks. Which again, it it feels like all of those... that part also. Like it was very hard to picture because I have so many issues with that whole incident. Firstly. They never address exactly how the Ivan was being blackmailed by the mob, and it was sabotage. And the mob does it because they want to force the Sanskrit into water crisis, and then they want to basically bail them out, but give them essentially take it over in the course of the bailout. And that's like one subplot of the story. But the thing is that they never really resolve how they blackmail him. It just turns out that they meet him and scare his daughter, and then he just does it. And it's never really it's like oh, yeah. they give a loose set of things. No, he so it's it's a pass though, right? He, he does have a shady pass that they try to. He does, but it's not like very well fleshed out. It's like he has a shady pass, and then they come and they catch him, and then they tell him kill yourself, and then he sends his family away, and then that's the last we hear of it. And then like, okay, that's proof. And then even then, like when the whole incident happens and uh, how they resolve it, also, I, I didn't fully understand what they were doing. That's like it's supposed to be a zero G environment, right? What were they doing? Throwing stuff down on it. Stuff would fly off from it when it was settled. Right, so when they would bring down the rock, it would shatter some ice back into space, and these oh. guys were there essentially to capture those pieces. And if you captured it, it could be yours, and you know that that's your trophy kind of thing. Right? So I was like, how did they like with four bikes? It's supposed to be seven hundred fifty tons or something like this. So it didn't. picture like really clearly for me like yeah like i couldn't follow it either it's just what the gist of it that i gathered was that somehow the disassemblers were somewhere near the core of the ice and eating it from the inside out and for whatever yeah. reason there was an access point on the space facing side of the chunk of ice which these yeah. kids because they had their rocket bikes and were available were able to dump that extinguisher if you want to call it that right into that nucleus and ಇವಾಗ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅಂಡರ್ ಸರ್ವೇಲೆನ್ಸ್ ಆಲ್ ದ ಟೈಮ್ 
So yeah, that, that, there's that, some that degree of that NCIS zoom in enhances like, oh, his fingers are here. Yeah. I'm like, where are you going with this? But it doesn't go anywhere, yeah, because we all know it was that guy. And so that, that was a bit funny, but yeah, that was insane. Just to like conclude the end of that incident is that both Carl and uh, even die. Uh, and then it turns out that even committed suicide to sort of save his daughter and save his family. But when I went back to the chapter and I saw that even was trying to get Carl out of that facility a number of times. Like he was trying to send him away to get his tools, but he came back early because the... Yeah, so right from the beginning, it yeah. was clear that it was premeditated. So yeah, it just it didn't make sense that that whole like the, the detective part of it didn't really make too much sense. Uh, but okay, so like that's and then then there's like a whole secondary thing that happens later on where these guys are on this other asteroid, this Ouroboros, where it turns out that there is a lot of ice in this asteroid. And yeah, in fact, why not just talk about that now? Early on in the book, when the resource crisis happens, they talk about how the admin people are are inspecting these so-called sugar rock claims, and sugar rocks are asteroids which have been mined out and then filled with ice. And they tend to be tiny, uh, but there was one several years ago an Eros that saved them from during some crisis. So they're looking for sugar rocks. And obviously this Ouroboros, uh, which is Jeff Agre's asteroid is a sugar rock. But I don't understand, like uh, Shuan goes up over there and says that, oh, this thing, the, the gravity is super low. So like the metal has been replaced with ice and there's like billions of tons of ice is what he says. Where does this ice come from? How does, how, yeah. like, I, I, I did some numbers and I think that this, this Joey Spud must have first got that asteroid about 200 years before the events of the book. Because that Funaki woman is a little bit younger than him and she is like close to 200 years old. So mm. ballpark 200 years before the events of this book is in that asteroid gets captured. How does one human being collect this much ice, even if it's 200 years? But he does not collect all the ice, no? Like he just starts mining it. I wasn't clear whether it was there already or whether he had to do this. Yeah, that's that's what I couldn't figure out. Whether it's already there. But, but if it's already there, then what is the whole deal with like, oh, the, the amount of gravity changes because you took so much stuff out of it. Ah, like, that, that doesn't wasn't, make sense. That, that wasn't clear to me. And like I, I looked through the book. It specifically says, first wave miners used to hold methane and water ice inside their claims as they tapped them out. So that reading of it is that they were finding little chunks of ice wherever they could and dumping it into these things for their own convenience for later use. But like, How do you put like hundreds of years worth of ice into like one rock with one guy doing I, it? And they make it very clear I, it's that one guy doing it. I am not like that whole support because it came from nowhere. And then the book started with them putting like some skeleton dance. Which was going to be useful later. Which is going to be useful later, but in like the most cartoonish way possible. <laughs> and, you know, after you've been through the whole cyberpunk spot, you know, plotline and how serious that is. And then you come and this guy suddenly has like a skeleton army, like, right? like it was just so dumb. And I was like, why is this? Okay, when it came to the point of, okay, his brother dies, he has this conflict with his friend, there's a girl and, you know, she feels, what happened to her? Like, plot like she had this angst about not being recognized and all of that and yeah. and then all and she doesn't do well she just shoots people like throughout the whole thing she just shoots people like she, yeah. so she shoots people she shoots people with pumpkins and that's that's all she does 
and and they never talk like she never talks again so i also have the other gripe that this book is like they, they say it's like feminist or like it, it has a female perspective i actually think the female perspective is kind of bad because they, they have this jane character which is pretty swappable for like a guy and, and the one character i thought who would be kind of you know that amaya character uh but she doesn't do anything either it's like she, you know and probably the veritins are the only part of it that are like and some exploration of like Yeah, but they're not like necessarily feminine kind of people. They just talk about gender. So up to the point where he kind of meets the Vivian character slash this thing, and there's that whole. I was like, okay, this this could go somewhere, and the author just like completely forgets about it. Yeah. And until that like skeleton dance fight with bombs and like as like this is Looney Tunes at this point of time. Like it's just it's just like it it was so dis- like different from like the other plot line. Uh, I was just like. ரிசோர்ஸ் But they have something like hundred thousand people or something on that planet, and they have ships that take them few weeks to get to the moon and get to Jupiter's scales, where they know that people can. So they say that you know if you can mine ice from Jupiter and bring it, but it'll take eight weeks. I bet you can ship people there faster than that, right? Like you know, like you know, you don't have to go there, and so that's for them. No, that I think. No, I think the distance is not much though. No, they say that you can send your ship, mine it, and take it back, but that'll take eight weeks. No, no, they're not going to send. No, no, uh, the ship won't go from, for say, out to Jupiter. It's just they'll have to dispatch something from Jupiter. It'll take eight weeks to reach. So I don't the think that evacuation. Right? I'm I don't think that evacuation is realistic. You could have lowered the number of people on the thing, right? And that would have automatically increased your runway of like water. I don't think they could realistically have reduced more than like a few thousand people. That's the other thing, though. Like, like who is going to send the ice? and i felt like a, a lot of these uh, systems in this universe are like these self governed systems there is no sort of governments which can like sort of rush to each others to help in in times of crisis like they have to like get the ice from this mafia uh, like make deals with the mafia to get the ice for example so even if they had asked someone to help for help no one was going to rush and give them the help that they wanted no i think no they they do talk about how Uh, there's generally a sense of cooperation between all of these self-governing mm-hmm. places and so if there is an emergency like the people from jupiter are perfectly happy to send the ice it's just it takes 8 weeks and they don't have 8 weeks in the current situation yeah, but, but i'm saying that's when they have to mine like you know tons of ice and send it and they say that they have this huge starship dock that they as for it is they're not letting it because they want to evacuate the world in jupiter Just like when you just you know evacuate a few people, or send the new starship, like it can't possibly like because those more people they got a bunch of starship pretty close to them, and that didn't seem to take so long. So oh, it did, no, they they took about a month. But that was yeah, bringing a whole bunch of people and equipment and all that. Yeah, I I I don't think that evacuation was was really. possible here beyond like a few thousand people and then it becomes that whole game of like oh i'm picking which people get to live and the rest of them have to die so like i'm not upset about that like i think evacuation not doing that was okay from a plot perspective like the resource thing didn't really come into play beyond that because like you mostly just for the political thing you didn't see like 
they were doing rationing for example but you didn't see besides that one moment in the crisis when she like let's say people die to kind of prioritize saving and that's the, right at the beginning that's not even that's right at the beginning yeah so you know yeah so you know those resource crisis elements of it don't come up later which is like you know what has been rationed and who has been rationed and you know like she there is a bit where she's like being bribed or like she's trading off favors and the rationing but it doesn't come up later so it kind of gets in this caught up yeah that's like another again that's a thematic thing that yep. the okay. theme is sticks the longest with is the the cyberpunk yeah so so let's so let's get into the cyberpunk and the ai part of it like that's the one that we i think talked the least about uh, after yeah. the initial intro so Yeah, what do you want to talk about that? Sure. When this crisis is going on, which is things going haywire at the manufacturing plant, again, this is again not something I'm clear about. But what happens is that in their computer systems, an AI sort of becomes conscious by replicating its own model. Uh, like some, some, and then please correct me because I was like so confused about this whole part. Is that there is some sort of module in this entire in their entire like giant computer systems network, uh, which replicates its own model and therefore it's able to see within itself and it see how it's sort of connected to the entire sort of ecosystem that it's embedded inside with that uh, it suddenly becomes alive it realizes that it has become conscious and it also realizes that the system security is going to come and kill it off so it creates a sort of compressed copy of itself and stores it somewhere and is killed by the entire security system or like the the anti sort of ai system uh, and then the thing that it that was compressed sort of becomes alive later on and then starts becoming more and more intelligent and then that is not noticed by the system afterwards until some computer experts i guess who are working under jane realize that now they make some comments about it like uh, they talk about what kind of a sentient what they call it as a feral sapient ai uh, like what kind of structure it has sort of evolved into uh, they also mention that and they call it like a Uh, i think it's a star shaped uh, ai starshaped sapien which, which means something apparently i didn't understand what that was and then they also mentioned that such sapien ais have developed during tri- times of crisis like the one we saw but then that is never brought up again so that's roughly the plot uh, and we can then talk about like what happens to it but uh, i thought for me that was like one of the most unexplained parts of the book which i had difficulty going through and again like maybe you guys can can sort of you guys must have have apparently read a lot of cyberpunk but i have not and so this was really new to me so that thing i think the, to add to that uh, essentially there is a life preservation module in their computer which has to take kind of decisions on prioritizing you know how to treat people and how to save people and so that module so the way they kind of explain it is that these computer systems have take so many real time decisions to protect people that they basically model them up kind of to the boundary of like being sentient so that they can actually take subjective calls on like what to do in various situations and if needed they can actually unshackle them for a bit to actually go beyond that. and what happens because of the incident is that the life preservation module so because of the incident uh, this jeff agrey's brother Uh, is trying to escape into a life preservation module and it kind of freezes up at that moment because it has to prioritize i think sealing the module versus saving him 
and it can't so the problem becomes so complex for the module that it in order to resolve that it has to create a meta model of itself in order to kind of think about it and in the process it kind of gains an awareness of itself and but because it kind of gains that awareness of itself it kind of fails to act in that moment and that's why he gets locked out and he dies so and and that is kind of a guilt that that thing carries with it because it, its primary core is to Try and save people, and it does. It kind of doesn't do that. I so <laughs> so one thing before you go on, I just wanted to chime in here. I think that the feral got created. So my understanding was that the mob, as a part of this whole sabotage, also messed up the computer system somehow, so that the the fail safes that are supposed to prevent the disassemblers from reproducing once they reach uh, whatever limitations, like whatever restrictions are in place. i think those those fail safes have been overridden and that's somehow part of life support which is why they mention early on also that there shouldn't even have been enough time for carl to get to that door to see it shut in front of him like it should have just have shut immediately and i think that that the sab- the sabotage in the computer system is what allowed the feral to gain self awareness before it got chopped down that that was how i understood I, I think it was the the no the meta model thing is definitely there, which is that in the problem. So there are eight people trapped inside. One person dies and one person is about to escape. So I didn't fully understand the complexity of the problem it faced, but I, because I didn't understand how the life preservation module works exactly. What was he trying to? My impression was it was a door he was trying to cross, and then the door shut on him and he couldn't get yep. through it. But it also says life preservation module. So what that means is really not clear. Right? Whether that if he had been let into the life preservation module, would it have been a problem? Uh, I, I think the life so, preservation module is like a computer module, not like a physical thing. Like a, a module of a software uh, system, I think is what it was. Not a. So he was trying to reach something, like and and then that system doesn't work work for him because it required like. So he it says somewhere that eight seconds of indecision is what killed him. Because and eight is just eight seconds of indecision on part of the computer, and essentially that was the period in which this thing was being created because it kind of suddenly snapped into awareness at that point of time because it was space pollution, and that's why the sapiens get created in times of crisis because that's when the shackles on. So these systems are essentially built to be sapient, but they are kind of constrained to various means. But at points of high crisis, either intentionally or unintentionally, they end up breaking those shackles, and or people loosen them for intentional reasons. And then you have like one of these feral ones on your hands, right? Which kind of so it's it's implied that the computing is, and this was another example of like nanobot type, like really dangerous crap that you know you would do. It's it's not something everyone knows, like how this happens, right? Because all their computer technicians and their You know those meridians, etc. They all understand these things really well. They know how to combat them. They know how to shut them down, etc. I was like, why build your computer systems in this way? Like it's just it's so like dangerous because you could, you know, at any moment of time, you could have one of these things emerge. And and they always turn out to be violent. This what they yeah. because it ultimately ends up self-preservation thing. And you have this huge interconnected computers network, which you know apparently you cannot stop these things from crossing and getting into. Uh, you are very narrow window to stop them so uh, it just seemed an example like while the construct of i did like enjoy the parts where they were talking about how it wakes up and looks around and moves and all that i did find the part that they communicate with it through with music, music. Yeah, yeah 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 that, I, mean, yeah, I, I was about to say i didn't understand that act that like yeah 
mechanical stuff with music and I just don't understand it but like ஒன்னுஸ்டாண்ட் like not everyone is going to be musically like proficient and it's not like the natural way in which we communicate yeah but i mean coding is not the natural way you communicate and not everybody is a proficient programmer like that no, i mean coding fine. at its roots is like basically logic like humans are all humans have some sort of sense of logic inbuilt in them but that's not necessarily true about music i don't I, know i i actually like this is going to sound really out of context here but I feel like when I was learning logic design as, as a part of like you know computer design which deals a lot with cycle times and timing and stuff and then at a similar time I, I was going to a dance class and I actually felt like there was a lot of similarity between logic design and dancing because of like the timing of things and stuff so I can see why someone else might I don't I don't know what the author's background is but this is you know the kind of it, this is always like one of those things that like stoner type people you know kind of there are rhythms and things so it must make sense somehow as like I mean sense like, like at all like to create music it's not just like you should you need sort of your mental like your mental capabilities right it does involve sort of how efficiently you can use your so for example you're talking about dancing and so that does require some physical skill and not everyone has it like and it goes with music like I, like i've learned tabla and it takes like years and years and years to like yeah. get the fingers but uh, uh, that's true of programming as well like i don't see why the not everyone can yeah. do it is a downside like not everyone can be donald knuth na but and not to mention that there is a whole matrix part of the story where they like i got the impression they went into the computer ha they, they went into the there. matrix yeah that that very much like, Yeah, I mean I've never feel read like the neuromancer. Yeah. Yeah, so so that reminded me so much of neuromancer because it was like the same kind of like oh I'm in this virtual world but yeah we were gone. Yeah, so I think that was like proper cyber, but it came out of like nowhere the same the idea that you know you can do that and you can actually and you can't be hurt inside it apparently you're a biologist so it's not like the matrix where you know, you you die in like and thing and so that's where it became like really something as like oh okay like So the computer part of the thing was also a little bit all over the place in terms of how do you interface with this, what's the basis of this. But okay, fine. You have a very advanced computer system, borderline. Like it, it's it's always sentient, but just kind of shackled down. Uh, then you have this. The music part was like I felt amazing. But Tonal Z literally just came for that middle of the book a bit, and then it just vanished. Like yeah. nobody ever used Tonal Z after that. So yeah, the the one weird thing about the Tonal Z, the segue is uh, Thondu. Uh, also known <laughs> as Vivian, which I I don't get. I also don't understand why that was supposed to be like a big twist or something. Like they clearly made it out to be. 
but i didn't understand what the big deal was like why try to mislead me by saying oh here is a woman and here is a guy and later on like oh it's the same person like why it doesn't matter it doesn't affect anything It, it it was a surprise, but it didn't affect anything because they didn't do anything with the Vivian Jeff yeah uh, exactly plotline because that never went anywhere. So I thought like there would be two parallel plotlines and that would have been there, but it never like clearly something snapped on the author's side because she just yeah. completely gave up on one plotline. Yeah, like it. It just felt like there were lots of like open ends here, and I don't know if the idea was to like write follow-on books set in this world or not, but nothing really. came off it like so this mj lock the author is actually someone called uh, laura j mixon like that's her real name and uh, throughout the entire book at no point is the mj expanded on so clearly they were trying to not tell people that a woman has written this which i guess unfortunately it, it, is still a problem in the sci-fi world it's just the reverse of her initials yeah it is the reverse of her initials but i feel like she goes to a great Length to hide the fact that she's a woman, which is still like an like I said, right? It's it's an unfortunate reality uh, of the sci-fi. Specific comments in that. Like, if you are not told me this was a woman, I would have thought this was a guy. I think this was. So obviously, yeah. like initially, as soon as you start talking about the women, they are always like talking about their men and they have their problems, and you know, it starts out with this girl like dressing up like doing all this and walking through the courtyard, and and she's bitching about him. That goes nowhere, and then the and then that Jane character is also. Her dear Vietnamese husband and whatever his problems or not, which I never understood what he was. He was another unnecessary character. I really thought it was a guy. It's so, true, and so I found that a bit funny in terms of like it wasn't that serious. You know, it didn't take into like if you played Cyberpunk to the twenty seventh year, you know that they take that aspects of Cyberpunk into sexuality that more. It's not really explored a lot here. Uh, it's just these like weird like insertions of like. Uh, and there's not even like any you know triangle between him and the girl and you know yeah. her stupid boyfriend nothing so it was just yeah. like I feel like yeah, it, it would be very hard to guess that this was written by a woman to be fair like. And not. and I I want to add so for just one last thing one thing I want to get in on this also the the Amaya thing that you talked about I'm just like this Ian is clearly an idiot okay like he objectifies her he's greedy yeah. and he's an idiot and at the end of the book they still make it sound like these two are going to end up together when this Amaya is clearly yeah. way smarter than him and he does not deserve to be with her I'm like wh- why that, that's what I'm saying and you wouldn't think it's like yeah. know, there's no lesson in it for like. Yeah, which is fine, I guess you don't have to make it. But uh, so I don't think like my. I, I feel the whole the, the whole teenager plotline was just shallow, where like things are happening to them one sequence at a time, and they just go through it. They do things about it, but as characters to be explored, there was nothing in there. Yeah, and then just to like yeah, and then just like a final thing about like how things end. I thought it was like a bit too goody goody how like you know things get solved one at a time and so easily. They like betrayed felt, the they betrayed the sapient. Yeah, exactly. They betrayed the sapient. I I felt a bit bad. Oh, Bitman Singer. Yeah, I felt bad for Bitman Singer. Very yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. let's we are we are near the the end of our time. So let's just go around and and any final thoughts, any anything else that that you all want to say. So let's just go around. Vivek, you want to go first? Yeah, it, it's a weird book. I think it's uh, worth the read. To just you know, it's a quick read, so you can get through it. Has some interesting ideas. I think it's like a it's a flawed book for sure. 
you know, compared to the let's say the expanses of the levels of power more well constructed, coherent kind of thematic kind of story. This is a little bit all over the place, but it has a lot of interesting ideas, things in it which you can pick and pass and probably make something interesting out of it. So it's worth like you know, if you really read a lot of sci-fi, I think the book worth it. Yeah, Varad. Nothing more to add, actually. We just covered all of it, so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, people who are listening, it it's definitely. I I feel like we spent the first twenty uh, minutes talking about how we liked the book and recommending it, and then the next forty minutes or so complaining about all the ways in which it was flawed. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I still feel like it's it's definitely worth a read. Uh, it's pretty good. So with that, let's end the, this episode, and we will uh, be back in a few weeks' time, uh, talking about Black Sun by Rebecca Rohnhoff. Take care. Bye.